doctors, nurses, and pharmacists in our area. So, so I then got a very stern warning from my superiors um, in Kamloops at the Kamloops BC at, in the Interior Health Authority, who warned me that I was that I was guilty of causing vaccine hesitancy. And so therefore I was putting people at risk by making them hesitant about the vaccine and that they were going to be reporting me to the College of Physicians and Surgeons and that I was forbidden from saying anything negative about this vaccine in our health facility. And so I, um, and they also gave me the name. They said, if you've got any questions about it, this is the name of the doctor that you need to address your questions to, not to your colleagues. So right off the bat, this seemed a bit strange. You know, as, as doctors, we're trained to question science. We're, we're, we're trained to practice what's called evidence-based medicine, where you examine, you constantly re-examine the evidence. As new evidence appears, you examine it, and to basically constantly test to see what you are doing is correct. And you never assume that science is, is, is settled or that the, the facts are indisputable. Science is always evolving because we never have all the facts. And often with the passage of time, new information becomes available that is very important for the decision-making process. So I was puzzled as to why I was being shut down for just questioning it. So I then started to see serious problems in my own patients who had had a Moderna shot. And, and they were neurological, the first ones I saw were neurological problems, particularly with regard to muscle weakness, with regard to um, palsies, which is you know, like a Bell's palsy is where half of, your, half of your face goes paralyzed. I had one patient where she got a Bell's palsy on one side of her face first, and then one on the other side of her face, which is most, weird and it was most unusual as well as it was a painful Bell's palsy and this patient is now nine months since her shot and her face is still painful and still paralyzed on one side so these are not things that just go away these are permanent injuries so I wrote a letter to to that person who I was being told to address the question to address my questions to and I sent her a letter and I said dear doctor um, I've been told to direct my questions regarding this experimental gene therapy to you. And, and, and I basically explained what had happened to my patients and asked her if she could tell me what the mechanism of injury was for this, for that had happened to my patients and how as their doctor, I should be treating it. So I got no reply. Yeah, and quite obviously, because this is an experiment, how would they know what the mechanism of injury was? This had never been tried on human beings before. They hadn't done animal trials. They'd just done it on a, for a couple of months on people and then rolled it out onto the general population. So I got no reply. And so then I thought, well, I obviously I just need to go higher up. And so I then drafted an open letter to Dr. Bonnie Henry, who is our provincial health officer here in BC, and more or less asked the same questions. What is the mechanism of injury? How do I treat them? And is it ethical to continue this vaccine rollout in view of obvious serious harm? And again, I got no response. 
no response. And in fact, fortunately, Dr. Henry did refer me to a vaccine safety specialist who offered me a meeting. And at the meeting, this vaccine safety specialist also couldn't answer any of my questions as to mechanism of injury or how I should treat this. But, but the only answers that I got was, well, these things are definitely not from the vaccine. Vaccine doesn't do that. Um, that these are all just coincidences. So here we are, nine months later, I have nine people in my medical practice who are disabled from the Moderna vaccine. And these are all labeled as coincidences. And I've, I've in fact submitted 14 vaccine injury support uh, reports, and they all go to the the woman in Kamloops who I, who's the medical health officer that I was supposed to direct my questions to. And they all get sent back saying, these are all coincidences, not from the vaccine. So, I mean, this is, this is an absolute abandonment of logic and an abandonment of science. And so <clears throat> I, I was then, so I'm now under investigation by the College of Physicians and Surgeons and very grateful for Michael Alexander, who is defending me. And um, so I now have four complaints against me. Um, the first two are for causing vaccine hesitancy. The second one was I was accused of abandoning my patients when my medical practice was burned to the ground. And um, the fourth one is, oh, questioning. So I'll tell you what the fourth one about. I had, um, I had set out to try and figure out the mechanism of injury and how I should be treating my patients. So, so my letter to Dr. Henry connected me in with brilliant and wonderful scientists from Europe uh, with whom I had some Zoom meetings um, week by week. And one of the most important things that was revealed, and in fact, this was revealed by Dr. Byron Bridal, was that Pfizer actually knew that this vaccine went intravenous. And they had never disclosed this to the authorities because the research done on it was only in Japanese. And it had never been translated into English, so it was not really available to most of the world. And the relevance of this was, so, so the vaccine manufacturer said, well, this vaccine, like most in injections, it just stays in your arm. It gets injected into your deltoid muscle and there it stays. Well, the fact is, it doesn't. 75% of it goes into your general circulation. And the problem with that is that this vaccine is made of these little packages, these little packages of um, genetic material that then get absorbed into the cells around your blood vessels. And so the cells, so these packages of genetic material are little strands of messenger RNA that are designed that have the, the, the genetic code for your body to make COVID spike proteins. So in other words, your body starts making this foreign protein that is normally part of the coat of this virus. And it contains this little spike that um, sticks out of the virus all over it that gives its very characteristic spiky look. It looks like a little sea urchin. Um, it gives it its characteristic appearance. So the problem is that all these spikes are now in your cells. They're not part of a virus. They're in the cells around your blood vessels. And so these, these spikes get incorporated into the cell wall. And if that cell, when that cell gets broken down, these spikes are then released into your circulation. So the problem with these spikes is that they cause clots. And, and the reason 
why they cause clots is because they make the surface of your blood vessels rough and your blood platelets are designed to recognize rough surfaces, which it would interpret as a damaged blood vessel. So if you have cut yourself or scraped yourself or somehow injured yourself so that you are bleeding and a blood vessel comes along and down that damaged capillary that has been cut and hits this rough spot where the damage has occurred, it is designed to cause a blood clot and stop the bleeding. And that's why we don't bleed to death because our blood platelets can recognize the damaged vessel and block it. So, so it is therefore absolutely inevitable that these spikes, which are in the cells around our blood vessels, which will, will cause blood clots, which will block those vessels. And because the, 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 the vessels or the, the parts of your vascular system where absorption occurs, in other words, where all these little packages of genetic material are going to end up is in the capillaries because that's where absorption happens. That's where there's the biggest surface area of, of um, blood vessel wall relative to the volume of blood. And that's where the blood is moving very slowly. So that's where they'll get absorbed. And that's where the blood clots, or that, that's where the, the spikes will be made. And that's where the blood clots will occur. So, so autopsies on people who have died from the vaccines have now shown these blood clots in every organ in the body. So, so this really does happen. These spikes get scattered through your body and cause blood clots in the capillaries. So this, this completely explained what I'd seen in my patients. And so just as you might ask, so, so what did I see in my patients? So I have, I have three people who have weak hands. So both hands are so weak that they cannot open a jar. One lady, they're so weak, she cannot open a door handle if it has a round knob. Uh, she, she can only open a door now if it's got a lever type door handle because her, both hands are not strong enough to turn a doorknob since her, her COVID shot. So the only way that that could happen is from this clotting, this microvascular clotting to occur in the spinal cord. Um, which would then give you symmetrical weakness. If it was in your brain, it would just be one side or the other. But if it, but because it, it would have to have been in a spinal cord. So I've got three people like that. I have, I have one patient who has lost the ability to pronounce words. Uh, he has he knows the word he wants to say, but he can't articulate it with his mouth. His memory is substantially reduced. Um, he's also short is one of six people I have that is much more short of breath than they used to be. And so for all of these people who now can't walk as far as they used to be able to walk, I fully suspect that these people got thousands or maybe millions of tiny blood clots in their lungs that have now blocked up these vessels so that the, the oxygen, the gas exchange through those vessels can't happen anymore because the blood doesn't flow through them and so they get out of breath very easily and the concern with this is that clotted blood vessels are permanently blocked they never go back to normal they are damaged forever and and that the the damage will therefore accumulate with every booster 
And so because the immunity from these shots only lasts a few months, you know, somewhere between three and six months, it fades out, which is why everybody who's chosen to have these clot shots so far are, are going to need to have a booster probably before the end of the year. And as I mentioned in Israel, they've already started their fourth, fourth shot. Now, all in one year, that is, you know, so we're talking about three or four per year that people are going to have, need to have. And of course, the damage is accumulating. So in order to find out whether this theory was correct, the only way that you can determine if a person has a blood clot is with a blood test called a D-dimer. And a D-dimer is a blood test that is done that tells you that a clot has recently occurred somewhere in your body. It doesn't tell you where the clot is. Usually the person's symptoms will reveal that or a scan. If it's a big clot, their symptoms or a scan will reveal it. But if you've got thousands of scattered microscopic clots around your body, it's not going to show on any scan because they're scattered and they're microscopic. They're just too small to see. So I started doing these D-dimer tests on my patients one week after their shot. And I have found that more than half of them have, have an elevated D-dimer. In other words, these are not people with vaccine injuries. These are people who think their vaccine went fine that there was no harm caused. And more than half of them have evidence that they got thousands of tiny blood clots in their capillaries. And as I mentioned, this is permanent damage which will accumulate with every shot. So, so that's what I've discovered. Um, and, um, and so I, yeah, I think we could perhaps op open it up to questions um, and go from there. That well, that's great. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Charles, for that, uh, that, that great summary. I think everybody has a better idea. I had tried to give a crude summary of what um, and who you were, but you did a much better job. Um, so, uh, Ines, you've had your hand up for a while, so why not um, ask your question? Thank you. And thank you, Dr. Charles. Um, my question is, my other son who could not, is not connected now, had the question if all the vaccines, so-called so vaccines or inoculations, um, have the same effects, are genetic ones, or some of them would not be or are not dangerous? Yeah, that is a very good question. So what, in terms of clotting, and there are many there are many ways in which these vaccines are dangerous. Um, the only way I've spoken about is the clotting, and that is literally only one of them. So all of these vaccines work by producing a spike protein. And so anything that causes a spike protein will, will cause clotting. And um, in, in patients who have a COVID infection, th th there are three phases to a COVID infection. The first phase is the viral phase, where you start to get the fever and um, body aches and headache and sore throat and um, just sort of flu-like illness. That's the viral phase, which is usually about the first five days. Then usually about the next five to seven days are what we call the inflammatory phase. And that's where you start to get chest symptoms and terrible cough and a heavy feeling in your chest and, and, and that's the inflammatory phase. And then the next phase after that is called the clotting phase. And this is usually after 
sort of about 10, maybe 10 or 12 days. And during that time, people with COVID infections get blood clots. And so they get put on blood thinners. And if you do a D-dimer on those people, it's usually very high. And, and so, so the spikes on the, on the viruses cause clotting just the same as they do from the vaccine. So in answer to your question, all of the vaccines are dangerous because they all produce spike proteins in your body. Thank you. Um, Andrico, I think you are next. Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, thank you, Dr. Hoff. Uh, appreciate that overview. It was really, really, really good. Um, I, I have <clears throat> I have sort of a, a two-pronged question. Um, you mentioned that in autopsies that you're that you're finding spike protein all throughout the body. Is it possible that the spike protein, the, sorry, not uh, the spike protein, but the, I apologize, the mRNA actually travels to a specific area and then it just stops and starts replicating spike protein there, but it doesn't actually transverse to other parts of the body. Is that a possibility or is it going to start circulating through the whole body and attacking the entire uh, system. I mean, this, this sounds, uh, when I looked at all the sort of the, the immune dysfunction and all these other things, when I looked at the clotting cascade, I thought, oh my gosh, this is really bad because that's a really primitive mechanism. I mean, it's the same in everybody. Um, do you know if, it, if it's going to travel all over the place um, or if it might just stay localized? And how does that compare to um, just acquiring the COVID virus in the air or through contact? Um, how long do those spike proteins maybe persist in the body and do they get out of the body? That's kind of what I was wondering. Yes, yeah, so in answer to your question, um, because 75% of the vaccine goes intravenous, it will go to every part of your body. So literally wherever you've got capillary networks, whether it's like a placenta is a very dense capillary network in a pregnant woman. Um, so you're going to get spike proteins causing clotting in the placenta, which is probably why you get such a high rate of miscarriages in pregnant women that get vaccinated particularly in the first trimester, seems to be the most vulnerable, but in every trimester, they, they miss they, uh, very high incidence of miscarriage. Um, but, but, but wherever the little um, lipid nanocapsules are absorbed, spike proteins will be formed. And, and, and so it will go to every, it'll be in your brain, your heart, your lungs, your kidneys, your liver, everywhere, everywhere. Your muscles, maybe that accounts for the achy muscles after the shot. Maybe you're full of spike proteins in your muscles. Um, they go everywhere where your blood goes. And, and so how long do they last for? So in, I know when we treat COVID patients, we put them on anticoagulants for a month. And because, you know, and that's with a virus infection. Now the, the shots give you, trillions more spikes than you would ever get from a natural infection. I mean, it just trillions and trillions of them because these little messenger RNA strands that, that get into your endothelial cells and replicate to make the spike protein, they don't have an on off switch. They just keep on just, they just keep on churning out spikes. I don't know how many hundreds of, of spike proteins each strand can produce, but it's in the trillions. Okay. 
Thank you. Kelly, do you have a question? Hi, how are you guys? Good, thank Can you. you hear me? Yeah. Yes, okay, we can. good. We can hear you, good to see okay. you. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Hoff, for all the information. Um, I'm just sitting here so upset with myself. I've been messaging with Marianne here and um, I was dead set against the vaccine and fell into the fear of it and ended up getting a Pfizer dose August 2nd. Biggest mistake of my life since the vaccine. Um, and I, I work for the school district. So I think, you know, preparing to go back to work and all the fear of the virus, which was silly of me, but there's no turning back now. Um, two, literally two weeks after the vaccine, I started developing hives all over my body. Um, lots on the palms of my hands, soles of my feet, my arms, my torso. Um, they're still continuing. It's about seven weeks later. And then as I'm hearing you talk about the clotting and stuff, um, my calves, like very tight, tight, sore calves, which I go to the gym every day. I've never had that. My cardio is decreased. I can't uh, go for as long as I could prior to this vaccine. So all there, it's, I'm almost crying as I'm talking because it's, it's terrifying. Um, and I, I'm sure you guys are hearing now, it looks like for school district employees, they're gonna mandate it soon. So I'm now gonna be at risk of losing my job because I will not touch the second dose. So um, I did, there's lots of stuff I've read that um, Marianne, you sent me that list and I had already started some of the stuff, but um, um, Dr. Huff, is there anything you can recommend that that I can, I mean, it, I, I assume this can't be reversed, right? It's. Yes, I don't know. So you, you said your shot was in August. Um, we're now October. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not aware of any way of reversing it. Um, I have heard that cerumen, which is a natural substance in the green leaves of conifers. So pine, spruce, fir, and um, cedar tree leaves. And yet you can make a tea from the green leaves and it okay. contains this substance called cerumen, which is apparently very helpful for vaccine injuries and for, for reducing the damage. Um, the, the, uh, the, the way to, you'd need, to, I would suggest maybe you look up how to do it. You mustn't use boiling water. You just chop these, the fresh green needles up into sort of little half inch pieces. You put a handful of them in a, in, in a cup, you pour some water, it's hot water, but not boiling. It must be sort of hot enough that you could put your finger in it and it might be a bit uncomfortable, but it's sort of hotter than a hot bath, but, but not so hot that you can't put your finger in it. So maybe about 60 degrees Celsius, something like that. And then you steep it for about 10 minutes. So I don't know how that works. I've just been told that that is an antidote. Right. Okay. But in terms of, but in terms of, of what do you do? Because I think there are a lot of people who out of fear or fear either of losing their job or fear of not being able to travel or fear of the virus or, 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 or just put put under pressure by their family or friends who tell them that they're inconsiderate and, and 
socially irresponsible to not get vaccinated. Yeah, we're um, feeling so, that. So whatever, the pressure, whatever the pressure is, you know, they'd sort of use shaming techniques to basically make you feel like you are not doing your part in this pandemic by not getting vaccinated. And, and so, so there are a lot of people who have done it for any of these reasons. And fortunately, our bodies have a wonderful ability to heal. And I think that, you know, it's a bit like being a smoker and realizing that you can't go up those hills as fast as you used to be able to, and you realize that it's causing damage. So the main thing to do is not do any more damage, you know, just, just now let your body heal. Just don't have any more of it because the damage is cumulative mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and you're just going to add more damage and, and you don't know with each shot, um, probably a different part of your body will be damaged. You don't know. I mean, we know that the side effects are worse with each successive shot, but, but my concern is that it's not just blood clots. Um, that is what it seems to be to be causing the shortness of breath and the weakness, but serious effects on the immune system, because um, it literally appears to be damaging your body's ability to detect cancer cells. So that cancer, so people who have cancers that are in remission, the cancers are coming out of remission and growing way more aggressively because your immune system is no longer able to suppress it. And so time will tell. This is an experiment. We don't know what the future holds. But the main thing is if you've, if you've already damaged your body, just don't do any more because you need to realize this is not just about having your job for this year. You're, you're going to be required to have at least three shots a year. So you have to decide, so at what point will I be so vaccine injured that I'm saying, this is not worth my job anymore. I'm, no. I'm, I'd rather lose my job, but then you're irreversibly damaged. So my point is don't wait for that. Don't wait till you're so messed up that, that you're gonna, it's worth losing your job. It's too late. No. Rather lose yeah. your job while you're still healthy and go and become I don't know, just get a job somewhere else where you're not forced to do this. Yeah. Um, your health is more valuable than any job. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And these hives there, I've never had hives in my life. And they, it's, there's something else you can, I would actually say, I can feel this coming from within and I would watch my skin and you would just see it come up. I could feel it coming before it would present and itchy, itchy, itchy. And I just want to tell you guys one other thing, if you don't mind, I don't want to take up everybody's time. Um, and maybe it's, but so the day after my husband and I chose to get the vaccine, very unfortunately, we took our two boys, 14 and 16. And that uh, was through one of the drive-through ones and our 16 year old happened to be driving. My husband was in the front beside him. Myself and my other son were in the back. And so the, the nurse injected my 16 year old in the front driver's seat, went around, injected my 14 year old in the back, said, I'll be right back with your cards. Literally as she walked away, my 16 year old, um, thank God we were still in park and not on our way to the 15 minute waiting zone. My 16 year old's head fell back in between the two seats, eyes rolled back in his head, whole body started shaking, fists were clenched. To me, it presented as a seizure. They all, I, I mean, I just started screaming. I'm, I have anxiety to begin with. So this was awful. And I was so hesitant. Um, 
all the nurses came running. Now they're putting it down to, I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, vasovagal syndrome, vasovagal. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Something happened to my son that day and it, 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 he didn't faint. It was not a fainting episode. In my opinion, it was a seizure. And, you know, and then just last piece I'll say on this, it's these youth. And of course, as the parents, we are the parents, we will make the decision. But now my son says, I want the second shot so I can do all the things my friends are doing and I want and I'm not a chance. I don't want, it's, it's awful. What we saw him go through that day is terrible. And now what I'm living with. So it's, it's a bad, it's a bad thing. It's yeah. So thank you for your time, doctor. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Kelly, just one comment, just to say to your son, this is not about just two shots. This is literally about probably a, a lifetime of boosters. Who knows how many? But so, so that is the concern. If it was just about two shots and you can get through that, it, might, it wouldn't be so bad, but it's not. The immunity from these fades out somewhere between three and six months. That's why we're going to need three or four years. It, it, people mustn't be fooled into the idea that you've just got to have two and then you can have your freedom back. That is a yeah. lie. It's yeah, it is a lie. It is not. Yeah. And, and so, so just one, one thing to, to mention um, we're actually being enslaved by this. Um, if you, if you, if you choose to have these shots, thinking that you are going to buy your freedom by having two shots, you must realize that you're not. You're actually, you just buy a few months of freedom, and then if you're not willing to have the next one, you suddenly magically become unvaxed. You know, that's what's happened to these one million people in Israel who have refused to show up for their third shot. They've had two shots. One day they're fully vaxxed. The next day they're, unva they're, un they're considered unvaccinated. And, and so just because they, the deadline passed for their booster and they did not want it. So, so, so that is the concern is that these, you, you might think that you are, buying your freedom by having two shots but you need to realize that your new masters who are the government who are paying for all these shots with your tax dollars will then control where you can go what you can do and for how long and as soon as you do not jump through the next hoop you lose all those freedoms and you're right back to zero mm -hmm. yeah and for those people and for those people who who choose not to have the shots because they've decided their health is worth more to them than any job, having seen what these vaccines have done to other people, those people are also being enslaved because now you are being controlled. You are being limited in where you can go, what you can do. We're all being enslaved by this. This is literally a new form of enslavement using a vaccine passport where they will control us. Yeah, and it's scary. It's scary stuff. Isn't very it? scary. It is yeah. very, very, this is very, very evil. Mm -hmm. It is. It's evil. Yeah. Would it be safe to take an aspirin a day just to, with the clotting, do you think? Or I don't know if you can answer that. Or... Yeah, yeah. So usually, um, so... So that's what I did with all my D, my patients that had elevated D-dimers. I told them to take an aspirin a day for a month. 
And, and, and that's what the pay people that get COVID infections, um, usually we, we tell them to take an aspirin a day for a month. Um, we don't, I mean, maybe it needs to be longer than that, but that seems to be about how long these spikes seem to continue causing the clotting. So for you, because your shot was back in, in August, I, I don't know if, I doubt that you still need that. Um, I, I think you're, you're, yeah, unfortunately what it's done to your body, it's done and, and time will tell. And hopefully you make, you know, you can make a wonderful recovery and there's no long-term, you know, uh, there's no long-term damage, but I would, I would really caution your son about thinking that it's just two shots. You know, I, I've, I've heard from so many people that they, they can't play soccer the way they used to. They can't run the way they used to. And, and I'm sure, I think it's from these little microscopic clots in their lungs, maybe in their heart. And in young men, when they get myocarditis, you know, myocarditis is inflammation of heart muscle. And often mm -hmm. we're told it's mild. Well, to call myocarditis mild is absurd because it causes permanent heart damage. Nobody has myocarditis and has a normal heart afterwards. It doesn't matter how mild it is. And they've now found that it is far more young people than ever realized because some of them get it very mildly and they don't even go in and get anything done. But if you do a blood test called a troponin on them, it shows up. I think the last figures I saw, it's about one, one in 113 was getting, had an elevated troponin, which means that they are getting heart damage. It's not one in 50,000, it's almost one in a hundred that is getting permanent heart damage, which means that these people's lives are gonna be shortened because they will not have the cardiac reserve capacity that they would otherwise have had. So when they start getting to near the end of their life and they're running out of reserve capacity, they will die younger because their heart was damaged. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the myocarditis, the myocarditis issue in young males is a huge problem. It is. And it's disgusting that these children 12 years and up can go get that vaccine without a parent's consent. That's, that speaks volumes to what's going on here. It's terrible. They, they're it giving is it terrible. schools. It is. And I mean, my goodness, that's <laughs> because we had to, is... when, when they were doing the, um, you know, the grade nine, the grade six boosters and the grade nine in school, we always had to sign that for them, for the children, right? Now they can go yep. get this co-op with no consent. Terrible. Yeah. It is very evil. It is very, very evil. Well, Claire, thank you for your- Yeah, Kelly, thank you so much for being uh, so honest and forthright with what's happened to you. It's, it's so hard to hear. And, and uh, we hope that you make a, a quick recovery and that your son will see uh, some common sense in, in his decision. Um, but so thank, thank you for that. Uh, we'll go to Claire, who's been waiting patiently um, to ask a question. So um, Claire, go ahead, please. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Hoff. Uh, your explanations are so clear. It's so easy to understand. It's, it's yeah, wonderful. And thank you for your courage. No. Um, did, you, did you have anything to say about the approval or authorization process or status of the Pfizer of the Pfizer um, vaccine at the end of August. Um, just wanted to know what you've seen in those in those documents re regarding the uh, the uh, status of approval or authorization of the Pfizer uh, Pfizer vaccine. Did I say virus? 
I think I did. I, yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we know what you mean. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. So, so, I'm on the so, East yeah. Coast, so it's late. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So this approval thing is is absolutely crazy because they have abandoned all of the previous principles that they held vaccine manufacturers to, which was, in other words, they had to do animal trials, they had to do short and long term trials. All of the phase three trials on these vaccines have not ended yet. Some will end next year, but most of them in 2023. So to be approving them without having completed the phase three trials and without having done animal models is absolutely absurd. And the most absurd thing of the whole lot is the fact that these, these, this new generation of vaccines, which have been used now for, for less than one year, in, in literally in about nine or 10 months, I think the vaccine rollout in some countries started last December. And these, these have now killed or maimed double the number of people. If you were to add all of the vaccines in history combined and added up how many people got killed or maimed from them, we're now almost double that. And yet they would still approve it. Something that is absurdly dangerous. Um, previously, there was sort of an international standard that if a new vaccine killed somewhere between 30 and 50 people, they would shut it down and would be taken off the market. It is now estimated that 500,000 people have died from these COVID vaccines, and mostly the frail elderly. Uh, up in Prince Rupert, which is up on the north coast of, of BC, up uh, north of Vancouver, in their long-term care facility, which is um, basically, yeah, in 2020, they had no COVID deaths in the, in the, in the city of Prince Rupert last year. And, and they started vaccinating people there in, in January of this year. They had 33 people, long-term care residents that lived in their long-term care facility at the hospital. Within one month of those 33 people being vaccinated, 14 of them were dead. 14 out of 33 in their long-term care facility died within one month of the vaccine. So I, you could work that out. That's probably 40% mortality rate from the vaccine. This is absurd. These vaccines were not tested in the frail elderly. They chose relatively healthy adult people to test them on. They didn't test them on children. They didn't test them on the frail elderly. They didn't test them on people with multiple complex comorbidities. And of course, they've done no long-term trials. We have no idea what is going to happen in two years' time to people who are vaccinated. Not the faintest clue. We don't know what the cancer rates, the autoimmune disease rates are going to be, what it's going to do to, to the, 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 the baby and pregnant mothers, that the ones that don't miscarry, that still hold on to their pregnancy. We have no idea what it's going to do to that baby. This is a complete experiment. And so to be, to be authorizing something like this that has already caused so much harm and, and around which there is so much uncertainty because the phase three trials are not complete is absurd. And, and I, I just have no other word for this than it is evil because they have abandoned all of the standards of medical ethics and of science that, that previously were held to. Thanks. Very, Thanks. Thank you. Very sobering.
uh, I had not heard the story of, of Prince Rupert, but that that should be front page news. And and you know I really wonder um, whether how many of those were ever even reported as vaccine injuries. You know, I've told you about all of all of I, I tried to report 14 vaccine injuries and not one single one of them made it into the statistics because it gets censored higher up. Yeah, we've heard, this from, we've heard this from like Patrick Phillips as well, who's also attempted to do the same thing. I don't think he's had one approved either. So yeah. you know, I think it's unprecedented and it's probably on a massive scale. I mean, I just think about the people in our own lives that have been um, injured by vaccines and you know, there's, I can count um, on both hands, but I can't think of anyone that's suffered greatly from, from COVID. So I think there's a lot more going on um, with these vaccine injuries and of course the media is letting on. The only thing you see in the media is somebody wishes they had had you know, the vaccine because now they're suffering. It's just probably- Because they got sick, yeah. Yeah, I'm probably- And that's because they don't give them, they don't give them any treatment for it. Yeah. Okay. Sunil, Sunil, would you like to ask your question? I just need to quickly take something out of my oven. Just, just, just give me a thirty seconds. Not a problem, doctor. <laughs> Sunil, where are you uh, calling from? Are you uh, in the Lower Mainland? I'm in Sur I'm, Yes, I'm in Surrey, BC. All oh, right, you mentioned that. Yes. Yes. So, have we? Uh, did we meet you down um, anywhere at the beach, or or? No, this is the first time. You know, I saw Marianne's uh, message. You know, in that in that group, she was uh, the Telegram group she was organizing, and I just reached out to her, and the rest is history. <laughs> oh, excellent! Well, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're on the call, and um, oh, very informative. Very, very informative. Yeah. Um, so we'll wait for, we'll wait for, hopefully he hasn't burned anything. There, there is Charles. Everything good, Charles? Uh, Sunil has a question. got a little bit overcooked, but I, yeah, as I say, I, uh, yeah, I'm sorry about my confusion with the Zoom. I, I'm no, really no sorry. problem. No, no. We're yeah. just so happy to have you, Charles. So Sunil is in Surrey and he's going to uh, ask you a question next. Okay. okay. Uh, Dr. Kup, uh, firstly, thank you so much. You've been so uh, you know, it was so well explained. Everything was just wonderful. Thank you so much. And you're just a wealth of information as you've heard that from many other people as, as well. Uh, my question is um, some, I think some months back, uh, actually I have a few questions. Uh, that some months back, there was a viral video of a Nobel Prize winner saying that, you know, everyone that's had the shot uh, is going to perish in about two years. Uh, is that something that would be true? I don't know if you can say that or, uh, you know, uh, um, but there's quite a few people that have said that the lifespan of someone that has been double vaccinated is about anywhere from two to five years. Yeah, that is a really difficult one. And, and I, I'm, reluctant to make any predictions, but I'll tell you sure. about, the, the, you know, I, t I mentioned that I have six people in my practice who now have what we call reduced effort tolerance, which means they can't walk as far as they used to be able to without getting short of breath. And right. so, so one of the things that I had been concerned with these people, if you block up a whole lot of the small capillaries in your lungs, it then is much more difficult 
difficult for your heart to pump the blood through your lungs because a lot of the pipes are blocked up. And so your heart, therefore, will be straining to push the blood through these networks of vessels when a lot of them are blocked. So this causes a condition called pulmonary artery hypertension. In other words, the pressure goes up because the blood can't get through. So your, your heart is then trying to pump um, against a higher pressure and eventually you go into heart failure. So people with pulmonary artery hypertension usually die in about three years, but it all depends. So it all depends on how strong their heart is. Right. Um, you know, they're, they're obviously if they're older and their heart is already weaker, then they may not last as long. If they're younger and more resilient and more athletic, then they'll hold out longer. Mm -hmm. And it all depends how bad the 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 blockages are how many vessels got blocked and it you know it's a huge spectrum so if if, if not very many of them block well maybe they won't have any rate any increase in the in the blood pressure in their lungs but so i mean there's so many mechanisms where this could do it the other one um you know that i mentioned um that dr cole i think dr ryan cole who's a u.s pathologist had mentioned the evidence um, that these vaccines damage your body's ability to recognize cancer cells. So that whenever we get, as we get cells multiplying in our bodies, because our bodies are continually repairing and rebuilding cells. As they get old, they've got to, so sometimes in the process of, of cell division, errors occur in, in, in replicating the DNA, which is then a mutation. And, and so some of those will grow into cancers. And, and our body is every day, there are probably thousands of those little errors happening because we have millions and millions of cells dividing every day. Um, you, the, the entire lining of your, your intestine is replaced every three days, you know, to, to, to know how that's the most rapid, uh, rep, you know, replacement of cells is your in, intestine. So if your body loses the ability to detect those mutations, those can then grow into cancers. And, and, and so that is the concern is that there could be a huge, in, in the months or years to come, a massive surge of people with very aggressive cancers. And um, so, so there's a multitude of ways where this could turn out to be disastrous. Um, and, and so I think it's very worrying. I, I really do. I, 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 I do not, you know, people have said to me, so do you think maybe for the frail elderly, the, because their risk of COVID is so much greater, is it maybe they're the only people, maybe the people over 60 or over 70, maybe those are the people that should be having it. And I say, no, there are brilliant treatments for COVID that are much safer. And, and, and we can talk about that if anyone wants to, um, that are much safer than this. And, you know, the, these shots do not protect against every variant, particularly this Delta variant, which is what's causing 95% of cases at the moment. It really doesn't protect against it, which is why there are lots of vaxxed people with COVID, because it doesn't protect them and the immunity kind of wears out, you know, it fades out, which is why, of course, they're going to need to keep having another shot every few months. Right, doctor. And my next question was actually, you just uh, mentioned that about uh, treatments. Uh, uh, 
uh, alternative treatments. And of course, my question was about ivermectin, which is, um, as you know, it's a kind of viral right now among the groups. Um, and so, uh, but I would let you talk about, uh, about the alternative treatments that are available. Uh, so if everyone's okay with that, uh, or if anyone has a quick question, you know, uh, they can go ahead. But yeah, I would love to hear that, doctor. Okay, Marianne, can we talk about treatments or, or do you uh, want to? Absolutely. And if you can okay. also address the new Merck drug that's just been launched this week and give your feedback on that as well. Okay, I, 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 I can't comment on the Merck drug. I haven't, I haven't looked into that yet. I've had a very busy week. Um, but, but in terms of, of treatments, the, the authorities that just want everyone vaccinated and has, who have terrified everybody so much with, with all their newscasts of how many people have died each day and how many cases there are, um, clearly want people to not know that there are any treatments. And, and there are many viruses for which there is no treatment. You know, if you get polio or you get... Um, uh, um, uh, Ebola virus or something, you know, there are some viruses that are very dangerous and have no treatment. COVID is not one of them. COVID has turned out to be one of the most easily treatable viruses, and there are a multitude of excellent treatments. And so um, the, the, the person who answered the question, is it, is it Sunil? Yes. Did I get your name right? Yeah, yeah. So correct. you mentioned ivermectin. And ivermectin is absolutely at the top of the list. So ivermectin was discovered back in the 1970s in soil. It, it is literally a naturally occurring molecule that is made by a soil organism. And it was discovered in Japan. And, and it, is a, it is a group of medications called the avermectins that are usually used for treating parasites in people and in animals. And so of these group of avermectins, ivermectin um, has been used in people since the early 1980s. And it is now estimated that close to 4 billion doses of ivermectin have been given to people around the world in the last 40 years. So it's not an experimental thing. This is not something that we're suddenly going to discover is dangerous in children all day. It, it, it is literally when you've given a medication to 4 billion people, if it is dangerous, you'll find out about it. And it is literally one of the safest medications known to man, to, to, to the degree that the, the discoverer of it was given the Nobel Prize for it in 2015, because it had made such a difference to world health. It is on what it is on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines, because it has made it is so safe, and so effective for treating parasites. But but many medicines that we use um, have multiple applications. And they've found that ivermectin, not only is it really good against a whole variety of parasites, it has brilliant antiviral um, functions against many viruses, not just COVID. It's really good against the flu. It's, it, it has quite broad antiviral properties. So what does it do for COVID? It blocks the spike protein on the coronavirus and it blocks the ACE2 receptor on our cells. So the ACE2 receptor has to connect with the spike protein um, on the virus 
that's the sort of channel that the virus uses to get into our cells. And to infect you, it's got to get into your cells so that it can start multiplying and, and replicating. So the ivermectin literally blocks both sides. It's like it blocks the key and it blocks the lock. And, the, and, and it just can't, you, they just can't connect. Um, and so that is why ivermectin is effective for even preventing COVID. If you're suddenly exposed to somebody who was very infectious or, or, or you're worried that you've caught COVID, you can take ivermectin even before you have any symptoms and it will block it because of that, that process of blocking the spike receptor and the, and the ACE2 receptor so that it can't even get into your cells. But um, the other thing that it does, so not only does it stop viral replication by not letting the virus into your cells, but it also... Um, works through five different anti-inflammatory pathways. So one of the things that the COVID virus does to our bodies, it causes massive inflammation, and that's what happens in people's lungs. That's why people get this terrible viral pneumonia where they feel like there's a horrendous weight on their chest, they can't breathe, and, and, and it's all the inflammation. And so ivermectin also works as an anti-inflammatory. And so, of course, a person with a bad COVID infection needs other anti-inflammatories, and we usually give them steroids, prednisone or, or budesonide or dexamethasone, one of those three. Um, I think probably the prednisone is the best, but they are all effective. Um, but, but ivermectin is a brilliant anti-inflammatory as well. And so it can be used in any age group. Um, apparently, it's been used in people from the age of six months old upwards. I think it's generally thought that it hasn't been well enough researched in, in kids under the age of five. But, but you know, in the, in any kids have, are no real risk from COVID at all. So they don't need to be using ivermectin in any case, even though it's been used in, in, in thousands, millions of kids all around the world. Um, so that's ivermectin. Um, um, and, and so the, the difficulty is that although ivermectin is incredibly cheap to make, um, apparently one of the biggest factories of it in India was burned down. I fully imagine by the vaccine manufacturers or, or the authorities that de desperately don't want people to have it because it has saved millions and millions of lives. Um, particularly in India, it's been used with fantastic effect. Um, and you compare the provinces that used it to the provinces that didn't, and it is just dramatic. It is a lifesaver. And so the fact that the authorities in Canada have told people that it's not safe and that they mustn't use it is absolutely absurd because it is incredibly safe and, and works very effectively. If it is used in conjunction with some other medications that I'll tell you about, it reduces the COVID mortality by up to 80%. 80%. And so, so the other things that you would use with ivermectin of vitamin D, um, vitamin C. So vitamin D, you, if you had COVID, you would want to take at least 5,000 units a day. Some people use much more, but at least 5,000. Vitamin C, two grams, three times a day. That's 2,000 milligrams, three times a day. Zinc you would want to take 100 milligrams of zinc. Zinc was also very important in, in the fight against COVID. 100 milligrams a day if you have COVID. Um, another important medic, it's not really a medication, quercetin, which is spelled Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, 
E-R-C-E-T-I-N. So this is a, it's a flavonoid antioxidant that is in many plants. And apparently the stuff that the ones, the capsules that you can buy at a health food store are, are made from onions. So it's, an, it's in your food. It, it's something that you, you eat in your diet, but it is very good for your immune system and helps against COVID. And you can buy it. Um, it's, it's a supplement. It's not a medicine. It is a, it's a food supplement. Um, the next one that's important would be um, melatonin. So melatonin is very important, uh, also an antioxidant, but it enhances sleep. So sleep when you're sick is incredibly important because your immune system really needs good quality sleep to work well. So, um, so taking 10 milligrams of melatonin at night, some people might want to start off with a lower amount and just make sure it doesn't bother them. But, but, but the FLCCC, which is the best website to get information on all of this, that's the Frontline COVID Critical Care Alliance, FLCCC. And that's where you can find all the scientific information on, on the safety and effectiveness of ivermectin and these other things that I've mentioned. It's all there. Um, there are now, as far as I'm aware, 59 peer-reviewed trials on, on, on ivermectin, 59. So anybody says it still needs to be researched, they are just plain ignorant. There is a ton of research out there. I mean, it's absolutely overwhelming. Anybody that says it still needs to be checked out is just willfully ignorant or, or willfully blind. The evidence is there for all to see. And the last thing that's important if you've got COVID is to take aspirin. And we suggest just one aspirin a day, as long as you don't get stomach ulcers or some other problem from it, one aspirin a day, and that you should probably take for a month. Um, but the other things just, you know, until you're completely over it. And so taking ivermectin really reduces the chance of getting what we call post-COVID syndrome, sometimes called long COVID, where people get left feeling absolutely exhausted with a mental fog, sometimes a persistent cough or shortness of breath, and, and where their COVID illness gets very protracted. Ivermectin really reduces the likelihood of that and is also effective for treating post-COVID. So for people who had a COVID infection, they never treated with ivermectin. They've now got long-term um, symptoms from it. Ivermectin is very good for treating post-COVID syndrome as well, amongst other medications. But, but it's brilliant. It's fantastic. And so because it's hard to get and most pharmacies won't dispense it, and in Alberta, the College of Physicians and Surgeons has forbidden any doctor from prescribing it. Um, so it's hard to find a doctor who will prescribe it because they're afraid that they'll get into trouble. Um, but there are pharmacies around Canada that have their eyes open and who know how, you know, how important it is and will dispense it. Um, it it's not an illegal substance. Unfortunately, some people are having to revert to resort to the veterinary ivermectin because they can't get the other the other pharmaceutical grade. Um, it, it's really sad that that's happened, but it's a lifesaver. If you can't get anything else, it, uh, you know that's what I used for my COVID when I had COVID. Um, I wanted to test it out, so I took the horse ivermectin. Worked really well. Mm. Well, that's great. Um, that's a that's a, a great summary. Now, Sunny, I don't know if we had another question, but maybe we should go to Farron first. Yeah. And then, if you have more questions, um, you know, just raise your hand again, and we'll get we'll kind of circle back to you. But two really Excuse good me. questions. 
Thank you. What would the dose? What would the dose be for the ivermectin? Milligrams by weight or something? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it must be calculated according to your body weight. So the dose is zero point four milligrams per kilogram of body weight, taken once a day for between two and five days. So it's a maximum of five days. So that is zero point four milligrams per kilogram taken once a day for, for up to five days. And so if a person is very sick, they can, you can increase that to 0 0.6. In other words, you can give them 50% more. And, and so if a person is very sick, um, you know, you could start off with a higher dose and as they start to improve back down a bit, um, ivermectin, if, you, if you're at high doses, it will sometimes cause nausea or vomiting or a headache but it is otherwise incredibly safe. I had um, a, 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 some patients of mine, a husband and a wife, they got the, the horse ivermectin and they tried to calculate how much of it they should take. They got it all wrong. And, and the, um, the wife took 15 times the dose that she was supposed to take. And the husband took 10 times the dose and they had absolutely no side effects. They said they felt fine and they were really impressed at how well it worked. And so it, it, it's very safe, you know, it really is, is very safe. Um, you know, don't suggest, you know, taking that much because you might throw up and feel horrible. Um, I've heard some people say they'll feel a bit spaced out, um, but, but it's important to calculate the dose um, because it's, you know, if you're a, a, you know, if you only weigh hundred pounds, your dose is gonna be very different from somebody who weighs 250 pounds um, and, um, it, it, it's, it's like there any pretty well any medicine should be like that. We we vary it according to the size of the person's body. You know, a lot along those lines, and then we'll go to Farron's question. Is um, um, you'll probably have noticed a lot of propaganda against the, the use of ivermectin and, and calling it horse, you know, a horse drug and all this. I think today there was a, an article saying that because of all this demand for ivermectin from humans, they were going to have to slaughter some cattle. Um, because there wasn't enough for the for for cows and horses. Did you see that article? So yes. the, the propaganda against uh, human use of ivermectin is is ongoing, and there's a campaign um, that's being launched, obviously globally, because we see so many articles. But anyways, um, let's go to Farron, and Farron, go ahead and ask your question. You've been waiting patiently. Hello, Dr. Hoff. Can you hear me? Okay. I can absolutely. Oh, perfect. I have a short story on the ivermectin and my neighbor got herself some COVID and she was starting to go down the, uh, the toilet with the COVID and she didn't know how to treat it. So her parents came over and gave her some ivermectin from the vet and she didn't know how to take it. So she took about, oh, about, I guess about a thumbnail size and she spread it on her toast <laughs> and she, Took a toast for two days with that, and it was gone by the end of the second day. The toast or the yeah. cold? <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the, my, I have sorry, a question ahead, yeah. pertaining to the available vaccines, and we know that most of the damage seems to be occurring with the Pfizer and the Moderna, and that leaves the J&J &J vaccine out there. Would you consider that to be a safer option? considering that most of the damage seems to be occurring with the mRNA. Yeah, the only, um, 
so the, 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 as I mentioned before, any vaccine that works by generating a spike protein is going to cause clots. Okay. I mean, you know, just like smoking, it can be predicted to cause cancer because of all the carcinogens in it. These COVID, any vaccine that produces COVID spikes is going to cause clots. I mean, it's absolutely predictable. It's pretty well guaranteed. So the J&J the, the, the &J doesn't use this lipid um, capsule, which is around the Moderna and the Pfizer. So there are a lot of concerns about the toxicity of that lipid capsule damaging the immune system and therefore causing an increase in cancers. Um, so the the J and J uses um, an ad, I'm thinking I'm pretty sure it's an adenovirus. It's a monkey adenovirus capsule, which also has its own issues, and I can't think what they are right off the bat. But but I I really don't think that any of them are safe, and, and the fact that they're that the immunity from them only lasts such a short time that the risk that you're of the risk of permanent damage for such a short-lived immunity is just not worth it because there are other brilliant treatments I and mean, we've spoken about ivermectin hydroxychloroquine is also brilliant it is cheap it is safe it is effective and it can be used in combination with ivermectin um, because it works in a completely different way and and then there are, you know there are other things like colchicine and um, and NAC, N-acetylcysteine, glutathione. There, there's a lot of uh, there's a ton of brilliant treatments for for COVID, so that people mustn't think that the shots are the only way to keep them safe. There are really good, safe, and effective treatments. And so, so one thing maybe I should just spring into this. I want to tell you that there are three reasons why we can never end this pandemic with these vaccines. Because this is the, one of the lies that's being put out by the, the media and the medical authorities and the politicians is that those who refuse to get vaccinated are gonna prolong the pandemic. And that the way out of this pandemic and the way back to normal is just to have everyone vaccinated. So I'm gonna tell you the three reasons why that is nonsense. So the first reason is that none of these vaccines cover all the variants. Um, and, and particularly with this Delta variant, it, it seems to bypass the defenses of, of, the, um, of the present um, menu of vaccines, which is why there are so many people who are, have had either one or two vaccines that, that still get COVID. So firstly, it, it doesn't cover all the variants, which ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and these other things would cover every variant, not, like, not the vaccines. The second reason is that not only does it not cover all the variants, but the immunity fades out. It just doesn't last. So if your immunity, you know, immunity from a flu shot lasts four months, it seems like with the COVID shots, it's about the same. You can never reach herd immunity with a vaccine that produces such a brief period of protection. You'll never, because it's, it's gonna be fading out. In somebody, somewhere, everywhere, it's gonna be fading out. So you can never stop this virus with such, with such a useless vaccine that doesn't last. And the third reason why you can never stop this with these vaccines is because the antibodies that your body makes 
to, to the vaccines are in your blood. They're not in your nose or in your throat or in your respiratory tract. They're in the wrong place. You, when you get COVID, you, you inhale it. You get it into your nose or your throat or your mouth or your lungs. You breathe it in. These vaccines give you no protection there at all. And that is why when a vaccinated person has COVID and a non-vaccinated person has COVID, if you compare the number of viruses in the nose of each of those people, vaccinated and unvaccinated, there's no difference. In other words, vaccinated people with COVID are every bit as infectious and contagious to other people as an unvaccinated person, because they have no antibodies against COVID in their nose. And that is why it only protects them against serious illness when it starts getting into the rest of their body. But it doesn't stop them getting COVID and it doesn't stop them spreading COVID. So this, for those three reasons, th this pandemic can never be ended with it. So what then can end this pandemic? And this is, this is what you need to know. Anybody who has had a natural COVID infection will have a long lasting immunity to COVID. And so I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to tell you if we've got, Marianne, have we still got a bit of time? Absolutely. Yes. Well, I think yeah. we'll have as much time as you have, Charles. Well, people will okay. start falling asleep and, um, <laughs> but for now we're all good. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to tell you about the research that I think is the most important research that has been done this entire pandemic and which most people do not know about mm. and which will basically give us the answer to how we get out of this. So as you might remember, um, in 2002, a very altered coronavirus came out of Wuhan in China called the SARS virus. And, and I mentioned that they'd try to make a vaccine to it afterwards, and it was a disaster because of antigenic enhancement. But th that virus, as I mentioned, it was a dangerous virus and, and uh, you know, it had a high mortality, um, but 90% but of people recovered from it. So that is the most similar virus to COVID-19 that we've, we've seen because it was COVID-19 is also a SARS virus. It's called SARS-CoV-2 was the name that, that, that the World Health Organization gave it, abbreviated to COVID. And so in order, because COVID's only been around um, less than two years, we have no idea how long natural immunity to it will last because it's only, it hasn't been around even two years. So in order to try and get an idea how long natural immunity from a natural infection might last, Scientists last year in Singapore, now, as I mentioned, that SARS virus came out of the Far East, it came out of China. So there were a lot of people in the Far East that got infected by it. So last year, um, scientists um, in, at Duke University in Singapore decided to track down people who had recovered from the first SARS virus. And they tracked down a bunch of these people and they said, please, can we get some blood from you? Because we would like to test your blood and see if you still are immune to it 18 years later. Well, in some of them, it was 17. Some of them, 18, depending on whether they had it in 2002 or 2003. And they found they were. And they, they were not 
looking at antibodies. They were looking at T cell immunity. So T cells are very important part of your immune system. That is what is your immune system, immune system uses for a long lasting immunity. They found that the people who, who had recovered from the first SARS virus were still immune to it 17 or 18 years later, which is very hopeful for COVID because it's very similar. So then what they did was they tested these people's blood to see if that immunity to the first SARS virus would protect them against the second SARS virus, which is COVID. And it did. They found that those people were immune to COVID as well. So that was amazing. And now I, what I want to tell you, the relevance of that is that the difference between the first SARS virus and COVID is 20% different. If you look at their DNA blueprint and you compare them, they are 20% different, 80% exactly the same. Now, if you look at all the variants and we can constantly hear about the Delta variant and there's an Alpha variant and there's a, a, a Mu variant and a, there's a whole bunch of others coming. Um, if you look at all these variants and you look at their DNA blueprint and you see, so how different are any of them from the original COVID-19 virus that they evolved from? 0.3% different. 0. 3. In other words, all these variants are very, very similar to COVID-19 parent virus. So if your natural immunity from a SARS virus lasts more than 17 years and can protect you against a virus that is 20% different, because that was the difference between the two SARS virus, then it will have no difficulty protecting you against any variant, any variant, because they're all less than 1% different. So the way out of this pandemic is through natural immunity, because that is the only way you will have immunity against every variant that will last, unlike these shots. And, and the way to natural immunity is to use ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine and all the other things, the vitamin D and the zinc and the vitamin C and the quercetin and the, and the NAC and all these other things we've mentioned that is the way to natural immunity. And that's why I decided I did not want to have this clot shot. I wanted natural immunity. So I was very excited when I got COVID about two months ago. And I had all my things ready. I had my ivermectin and I had all those other nutrients that I'd mentioned. And that was my plan. And now I have natural immunity. And um, so, so the fact that the authorities completely ignore natural immunity, which, which are the only people that are actually immune to COVID are the people with natural immunity because the vaccinated people are not immune to COVID. That's why they spread it. That's why they get it. That's why there's so many of them in hospital, which the authorities lie about. And I'll, I'll get, maybe get to that. Um, but the only people with, with, that are actually safe to be around are people who have already had COVID. But I'm going to tell you one more thing that those researchers from Duke University found that is also incredibly important. Have you noticed how a significant number of people who get COVID don't really get very sick from it? Now, I was one of those people. I, I literally had sort of vague achiness for two days. And then I had about, I don't know, between, no, probably had 10 days 
of just feeling absolutely exhausted. I mean, I just wanted to sleep all day, but I never got a fever. I never got a headache. I never got a sore throat. I never lost my sense of smell or taste. I never had heaviness in my chest. I had an irritating cough that I just used those Hall's menthol eucalyptus and it completely fixed it. I had to use about one or two a day to fix my cough and that was it, but I never got sick. So this is the other thing that I mentioned that these researchers found at Duke University. After they had checked out to see how long natural immunity lasted and whether it would cover a virus that was 20% different, they then went to the general population and they got random people out of the population in Singapore who had never had COVID and they'd never had that first SARS virus. And they, they took blood from them to see if any of them were immune to COVID. And they found that about 50% of the population had naturally immune, natural immunity to COVID, even though they'd never had it. And they'd never had the first SARS virus either. So there are other types of coronaviruses that circulate in the population every cold and flu season. And it is these viruses that give a significant, literally half the population natural immunity. So have you ever wondered, why is it that kids don't get sick from COVID? Well, the answer is because they get every cold that's going around. We call them the super spreaders because they never cover their mouth or nose when they sneeze. They trade viruses at school. We, we always called them the super spreaders because they would get every virus that was going around and gave, give it to all their friends. And, and it made them immune. So when COVID came along, they were fine. No problem. They had natural immunity from not wearing masks, by the way, because <laughs> that, so, so, so anyway, so, so, so natural immunity is the way out of this, but you need to have made in case you're not one of those people that has natural immunity, you need to have your supplements ready to go. Mm. So I have a question for you, uh, Charles, why do you think a larger portion of the medical community is not standing up. Um, I, I think a lot of them watch the television. You know, CBC is now called the Canadian Brainwashing Corporation. Um, that's what CBC stands for. And the BBC is the British Brainwashing Corporation. You know, they've, they've sort of just accepted the common narrative. But, but the other reason is many of them can see that none of this makes sense. They, they can, they, even the ones that can see that telling doctors that they're not allowed to question the science is absolutely absurd and has never ever been done since the times of Galileo. You know, Galileo was put under house arrest for coming up with the theory that the, the earth revolved around the sun. I mean, he was absolutely ridiculed by the scientific and academic community and put under house arrest for, for suggesting that. I mean, th this is not new, but, but, but doctors see what, what happens to people like me and, and, the, and they, they're afraid. They value their job. They don't want to be, um, they don't want to be, you know, to be put under investigation by the college. And, and I mean, I lost my emergency room privileges um, I, you know, because I explained to a nurse that study from Duke University, we had a vaccine, um, a, a patient was very sick from the vaccine that came in who had had COVID. And I said to this nurse, 
please tell this patient she doesn't need her second shot. She's already immune. She's had COVID. And on the basis of explaining that exact research that I explained to you, I was fired from the emergency room. For, for explaining to a nurse why somebody who was already immune to a disease didn't need a vaccination against it. So doctors see this sort of absurd persecution and they keep their mouths shut. And, and it's just, they're just preserving their livelihood, I think. Uh, I can't keep my mouth shut. So that's why I get into trouble. Um, I noticed in, in the chat that somebody named uh, D M Johnson wasn't sure how to raise their hand, but I, I saw your your message in the chat. So do you want to go ahead and ask your question? Um, I think it's Mr. D and M Johnson is what we see. Oh, maybe you're not on there anymore. Yeah, I am. Oh, okay, there you are. Sorry, I, I, there's a little hand icon where you can there raise you your hand. But, sorry about that. Sorry, but yeah. Just, sorry, go ahead and ask your question. Uh, yeah, I keep myself hidden from Google and everybody, sorry. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm on and Facebook and thankfully I'm not in jail yet. But anyways, my question is, Dr. Hoff, I've done a lot of research. I'm a retired nurse and um, who never never bought the uh, the narrative right from the get-go. As soon as that uh, man who calls himself the PM opened up his mouth, I, was, I just saw lies coming out. When he, and when he said that there was a vaccine was gonna save us all, it was like, oh my gosh. And I, I must admit, I drove my husband crazy. Like, where are these doctors? Where are these nurses? Where, why are they not standing up? You know what I mean? Because yes. from what from the great reset, from what I understand, they are not going to have jobs. This is that's the goal. But anyways, that said, there's been so much information now out there. People uh, examining uh, the blood in regards to this graphene oxide and what it's doing and how it's polarizing the red blood cells. I don't know if I use the right term, but it's just. And I was was wondering, like you've been looking at the D dimers, but has has yourself or anybody that you know you know had vax people come in and sort of actually start looking at these uh, at their uh, blood cells you know and their blood to see what's going on because some of the uh, information coming out of the state from some of these doctors like a dr young and and other doctors it's uh, and and germany my goodness they just had this big conference and what they were seeing in the blood was just astounding i i did put it in the chat uh the the link to this it was just it it, it was, it's murderous. It, it's just unconscionable. So have, are, do you know anybody or are you doing it or would you consider doing it? And yeah, I know. So I'm, you know, I, I'm a family doctor and, and, and I was an emergency room physician before I lost my, my ability. Yeah. My privileges. And unfortunately, so it means I now can't work as an emergency room physician anywhere. You know, once you've got a disciplinary hearing against you, you're done for. So, so, um, so I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a family doctor. I, I, I'm, I only did that D-dimer research because nobody else could give me the answers. And I really was determined to fight. It was something I could do quite easily by literally, as people would come into my office, I would find somebody that was either going to have their shot the next week, in which case I would get them to do a D-dimer before and after so that I could make sure definitely, you know, that they didn't have a raised baseline or something, because that was my control group. But the majority were people who had already had their shot. 
And, and so I would literally just give them a requisition and I say, please just go down to the lab. You know, you're, you're due for your, your other, you know, check your thyroid or whatever else they actually needed. Oh, in any okay. case. And just add it on. Yeah, I just would add it on. You know, maybe they were diabetic and they needed a, a hemoglobin A1C. You know, it was time. So I would just add on the D-dimer and, and they were going to the lab in any case. Um, it's just one extra tube of blood. And it, and it gave me these really important numbers. Um so, so unfortunately, my medical practice got burned yes. um, literally not long after I went public on this. And so, um, so that really put, uh, put a spike in my, uh, my research. Um, so, but, but now with so many people being forced to have these clot shots or lose their job, there have been people contacting me saying that they're willing to do the D-dimers. So I'm, I'm getting a trickle of results coming in that I'm hoping to have a slightly more statistically relevant sample because I didn't really have enough. I only had, by the time my practice burned, I only had 13 D-dimers, which wasn't enough. Um, 13 patients that it had d done i mean some of them had two one before and one after but but that you know that, i mean that's enough to be able to see where 52 percent is still pretty significant you know even if it was one in 10 that was getting clots i would have been worried but i did not expect over 50 percent yeah well i mean it's been i know those that are doing it in the states it's it, what you're doing is is being confirmed by them you know what i mean or you're confirming yes. what they've found but uh, i guess like i mean that that individual Kelly and what happened to her poor son. I mean, uh, you know, the fact that they these nurses. Every time I mean, I'm just I'm ashamed to say that I was a nurse. You know what I mean? Because just to totally dismiss it as if this is nothing, right? And but anyhow, that said, like even for herself and her family, I mean, for them to say to them, "Would you come? Can we analyze your blood?" You know what I mean? I don't know if she's in BC or where she is. You know, yeah, so so I suppose you know, you can't just give a person a lab requisition and you know, and ask the pathologist about it because they, they wouldn't know what you were looking for. One would literally need to do it oneself, and so it, that, that would probably be the the realm of, of hematologists and immunologists and that sort of thing, and so. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't think I have the scientific ability or equipment to do that kind of thing. Um, you know, I'm just not, not knowledgeable enough about that. Okay. Cause what I, like what I have gathered from my research, most of these people that in the States, it seems to be in the States, it's like anybody with a microscope, you know, it's just so obvious, you know what I mean? The, uh, how the red blood cells had been altered. It's just uh, you know, it's and so really, it's not to have any high tech or high zoot type of equipment to do any an analyzing. It's just even with a a simple microscope, you should be able to uh, view the or the alterations in the uh, red blood cells. Well, I have. Uh, I mean, because we just don't seem to have enough information here. Pardon? Beg your pardon? No, I was going to say. I mean, I could try. I've I've got a. A pretty basic microscope, but but I can, I just need. To, I mean, most of the people that I know are not vaccinated, um, because they know me. Uh, <laughs> they, they, I guess that's what I'm they, finding because I mean, they, I'm they've heeded the warnings. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. 
I know I just said that like being out here in Ontario, I'm just trying to find some doctor who's awake. I that's what I call it, awake, you know what I mean? And uh, you know, and then to find some some facility. I mean, like I, I was saying to Marianne, or I said in the chat, I mean, even if we could start getting together our own information, and I said to somebody, you know, even if we knew uh, an undertaker where we could, you know, the embalming room just to do some autopsies on some of these people, you know what I mean, to get our own information, because I mean, we know that it's uh, all this information is is being suppressed, like you were saying, like you know, the, the your people were not reported. We know there's lots that aren't reported, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and in fact, you know, um, it's such a hassle to, you know, the, 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 the form for reporting a vaccine injury is a nine page form. It takes somewhere, it takes about 25 minutes to fill it out and you get absolutely zero remuneration for it. You're doing 25 minutes of work for absolutely zero pay. And so most doctors aren't going to bother. Um, and especially when you know that it literally bounces off the ceiling, you know, this, it, it just yeah. gets censored higher up. There's yeah. no point. You just may as well just not bother. It, it is, you, you know, that it, this, the, the Canadian vaccine injury reporting system is designed as a cover up. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's, it pales in comparison to the yellow card in the UK. I mean, and even like the VAERS report, but I mean, since uh, people have been touting the VAERS report, even that slowed down, we hear, like the rumor mill has it that uh, they are uh, not accepting or they're rejecting more. And, and the call went out to the doctors, they're not to report these, they're not to report any adverse reactions or, the, or they will be penalized. So, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I mean, it's, the, the, it, it's not health, this is not, this vaccine is, and this whole program has nothing to do with health. It has everything to do with death and destruction and enslavement. I just saw in the chat um, a note from Kate. She says, Dr. Hoff, there are ways to stop employers from forcing people to take the vaccine. Can I send you all the info? So yeah, so Kate, my, my email address is, is Hoff dot charles at gmail.com so that's h-o-f-f-e dot charles c-h-a-r-l-e-s at gmail.com so so i i'm i'm being inundated with people who are being forced to have this clot shot um and and um the difficulty is giving a, a reason that the employer will accept and um, so, so that's the difficulty is, is that usually with medical, you know, if, if, if a doctor gives somebody a note for being off work, we normally do not tell the employer what's wrong with the person. It's considered private and confidential medical information. And we don't tell them what the sickness is and how it's affected the person. But, but, but in this case, you know, confidentiality has gone out of the window. Normally, your employer would not be allowed to ask what your HIV status is, even though it's HIV is an infectious disease, that if you bled on something, you could give somebody else HIV at work. But, but they're not allowed to ask you your HIV status, but they can ask you if you've had a COVID, if you're, you know, you've had your COVID shots, which is absurd, because you know, compare the danger of COVID to HIV is, is just ridiculous. Um, so, 
you know, there's there's no, yeah. Anyway, so so um, th there are one of the things that I'm trying to do is all of those people who have had a natural COVID infection. Um, that is good proof that you don't need the vaccination. And, and of course, you can, you can quote that study from Duke University. It was published either June or July of last year um, from, from Duke University in Singapore, which shows that people that have had a natural COVID infection are immune and the immune is, immunity is long lasting. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the, the most sound reason but some people had COVID and never had a COVID test. So I did, I did have a COVID test. And that's why I desperately wanted that piece of paper that showed that I had a positive PCR, even if it was a false positive, which we know not many of many of them are. But but I always advise my friends, if you get COVID, even if you don't think you need a COVID test and you don't want to puff up their numbers, it's worth having that piece of paper so that you can prove you had COVID. Can't we use that that zinger that uh, there is a test I thought that was uh, quite specific. Um, Dr. Hodgkins in Alberta speaks uh, spoke about it. It's yeah. So there is a, te a test for COVID antibodies that you can get through Life Labs. I'm I don't know. I know it's available in BC through Life Labs. I'm not sure about other provinces, but there is also. In Vancouver, um, Dr. Pellick at, at UBC has developed a test that's much more accurate than that. And you, he can do it by mail, um, where he can mail you out the stuff. I think it's about a three-week turnaround. And there's also a place in Vancouver where you can get your T-cells tested to see if you have T-cell antibodies against COVID. Um, I think it costs about $300. But, 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 you know, for those people who want to know if, they, if they've had it or be able to prove that they've had it. Now, the problem is these, because these tests haven't been approved by Health Canada, you can't use them as proof to your employer or in a court of law because they haven't had the sort of royal stamp of approval. But, but, but I think, you know, if, when I get asked to write a vaccine exemption letter for someone... Um, and I basically, and I have to give some good reason. I, the first thing I ask the person, is there any chance you might have had COVID? Because then if we can prove that you've got immunity, we can prove that you're not a danger to others because you, unlike the vaxxed people, will have antibodies in your nose, which they don't have. So, you, you know, you're actually the safe one, not them. And, and so, um, so that's usually the first attack that I take is to try and prove natural immunity. Um, because, you know, this whole idea that unvaxxed people are dangerous um, because they're not vaxxed is nonsense. If you've got natural immunity, well, it's the vaxxed people that are just as dangerous because they spread it just as much because they have no antibodies in their nose. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I would just want to be, I see somebody has their hand up. I just want to say one last thing. Here, in we've been uh, putting together letters of uh, notices of liability to give to the employer. And, and in those notices of liability, we have been stipulating many of the uh, laws that they are breaking. And because really what we're trying to tell, tell these employers that 
they're being pawns used by the government. Like the government will not institute any of these rules or regulations. They're just making life difficult, okay, for those who choose not to be part of the great experiment. And so we're saying, you know, if you don't want to be seen as, I mean, some of these things are criminal charges. Like, I mean, like, like a criminal code charge of extortion for trying to force somebody to take this job, to keep their job. You know, it's more than coercion. It's extortion. And one of the and one fellow who um, is an ex-military pointed out to uh, to the group that uh, uh, by the by uh, there's also crimes against humanity, which is also underneath the Criminal Code Act. Yes. So I mean, so they are so, and we're holding them liable for being criminal for forcing these people to, uh, you know, do this in order to keep their jobs. You know what I mean? And, and we're hoping that they won't. They won't do. They won't take the shot. But do you know? But 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 do you know if any of those notices of liability have actually changed the policy of any employer? Some, believe it or not, some. It's only we've only been totally inundated since uh, since uh, these employers in the last six weeks. The, uh, the the governments have put the pressure here in Ontario on these employees. Right prior to that, we couldn't get anybody to sort of step up because we had the documentation, but all of a sudden now, like, I mean, uh, like even today, I had five comments five coming to me and saying, where, where are these laws that, I mean, and I've been trying to, through many uh, social medias, telling people like, get ready, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's only once they start, you know, the knock comes on their door saying, you know, well, the next week you have to prove your, uh, your status, right? Right. They start scrambling, but thankfully, I mean, like, like uh, myself and, and a few others, like, I mean, and there was some help from other people. Like, I mean, we've, we've put together a, a 12 page document, a 12 page document on all the rules and regulations, you know, from occupational health and safety to criminal code to present to the employer. Right. You know, I, so maybe I wonder if you could put your um, email in the, in the, in the chat. And then people that are interested in getting maybe that report or more information can email you directly if you're if you're fine with that. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't. Guess yeah, because it's I I guess I did I asked um, that the Kelly uh, for her to uh, email me because I mean really because I'm very trying to get people like herself. And do you happen to know this Dr. Denegas that was? Um, sanctioned in Alberta. He, he does locums in Alberta and BC. And he was in Rimby, Alberta, I think the beginning of October. And he uh, was on, he, he was just shocked at these poor people with COVID that were, you know, basically as a charge nurse, I think it was said that the charge nurse said to him, well, they might as well just be put in a corner to die. And he scrambled in that small town of Rimby and found ivermectin. And the Ministry of Health of Alberta just went ballistic and they took the ivermectin away from him. They took, they took him out, like literally took him out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. He didn't even have an hour to go and check on his patients and, uh, and, and, and took away his hospital privileges in Alberta. Yeah, uh... And I was hoping that, he could, you know, put in an affidavit, you know, what, what it had transpired, you know, because, I mean, once again, totally criminal. And the ministry said that nobody could bring ivermectin in. They could not bring their own personal ivermectin in to the, and use it in the hospital. Yeah. 
No, it's just one story after another like that. Mm -hmm. It's obviously in the, the uh, agenda not to allow anybody to use ivermectin for this purpose. No. But let's go over to Sunil because uh, Sunil said it's Sorry. a while. No problem. Um, thank you for all your, your questions and information. Um, and, and please provide your email so people can follow up with you. Sunil, go ahead. Um, doctor, um, regarding, um, uh, you said the tests for uh, determining if you have uh, the natural antibodies for COVID. Um, uh, does one need a prescription to go and get the test done, uh, like a referral to a lab from, uh, or can one just like uh, the name that you mentioned, Dr. Pellick at UBC, can one just contact him directly or does one need a referral to? Uh, Mm -hmm. So Marianne, yeah, I, Marianne, I think, has been in touch with uh, I, Stephen I, quite a bit. I've been in touch with Stephen. You just contact his office directly and make an appointment to go see him or make an arrangement to have the test shipped out to you. And he's actually doing a, a larger study, I believe, with, mm -hmm. I think he's got over 800 people. And he's, if you're interested in um, contributing your your blood to the study or the results of your, uh, the, your test, then I think he's quite happy. Absolutely. To do that as well. Yeah, be in touch with him. And I believe the test is $50, okay. uh, which is quite economical. But no, he is, uh, and I believe they're collect. if you're, you're in Surrey, so they're collecting the blood in Burnaby. One of my neighbors just went last week. Okay, and uh, and how does one contact Dr. Pellick or does- Oh, I put it in the chat. I put his oh. email and telephone number. Okay, got it. I see yeah. that. Yeah. Great. And how there about the are, there are some of those tests that I've been asked to sign a requisition for, and I'm not sure which it is. Maybe it's a, some version of them, but um, but yeah, you might have to. You know, if if you do need a requisition, hopefully you can just ask your family doctor just to sign it, uh, and they can do it electronically and and just send the form back to you. But but I think as far as yeah, I, I agree with Marianne. I I. I don't know which ones need a, a rec I don't know why it would need a doctor's requisition. It doesn't make any sense, especially if you're paying for it. No. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's maybe part of a, a study in quotations mm -hmm. too. So for Dr. Pellick, you don't need a requisition. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Andrico, you had a question. Uh, yeah, it's 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 sort of a comment. And I, I uh, Dr. Hoff, maybe you can chime in because I'm not exactly sure how valid this is. But um, I, I've been to a lab. Um, I had my uh, blood drawn and my blood was fine, but my friend who, uh, who had had a partner that was vaccinated, uh, she was intimate with him for a couple of months uh, until she had this same blood test. I mean, and it's, it's really rudimentary. They're just putting the, uh, a, a, a piece of, uh, or a drop of blood on a slide and looking at it under a microscope. Uh, the red blood cells had these little spikes on them. Mine didn't. Is is that uh, a fair uh, uh, estimate or or indication that 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 person somehow has taken on spike protein from an infected person? And and is I mean, because it seems to me that I mean just looking at, at you know my slide, her slide, it looks like there's definitely a difference in in the the, the blood itself. That it's it's there's something showing up on her slide, um, but it, it, 
I mean, this this is this seems to me like it's more through intimate contact versus just ca casual contact because there's there's some fear that you know if the unvaccinated are around the vaccinated that they're shedding for a short period of time. What risk is that to the health of the unvaccinated? That's a good question. Yeah. So the shedding the shedding issue it, it has been seen all over the world, and and um, Pfizer in their study design had mentioned um, that there was something that was released from the skin and the breath of vaccinated people. And, and in the, if you read the, their study, they had mentioned it in the context of monitoring pregnant or breastfeeding women who were in contact with vaccinated people. In other words, that, that these people would be affected, but they, so Pfizer did not say what it was. That, but it comes out of their skin and their breath. So, so obviously, if you're having intimacy with someone, you're you're very involved with both of those. I mean, you're very close. So, <laughs> so, but but I don't know. I don't know what it is that is transmitted. All we know is that it definitely causes clotting and bleeding because those are the main symptoms that people get, particularly in women, where they where they you know postmenopausal women start bleeding. Um, people start having very heavy periods that they've never had before or very frequent periods. Um, and, and so these are people who, who's, who developed clotting or bleeding from contact with vaccinated people. That, that's so, interesting. Oh, oh, sorry. That's no, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because I just read it. Now it seems that the, the, the spike protein is doing two things. It's creating clotting in the microvasculature, but it's also causing bleeding and i came across an article that it's that spike protein is somehow interfering with fibrinogen prothrombin and complement three so i is the, do you do you think that there's like a, a risk over time can the body um rid itself like if you're exposed to somebody say you've been with somebody and and you've had close contact maybe you're a masseuse or you're working with them and you get a rash or, or something else can the body actually get rid of that spike protein over time or is it going to accumulate somewhere and never come out of the body um what are your thoughts on that i have no idea and i don't know if anybody knows that you know this this is an experiment and and it, it, it is something very new um yeah i mean i i think it's just absurd that they're forcing people to have this experiment i mean whether there's just so many unknowns and we have no idea what the future holds um it's it, it yeah the next few years are going to be fascinating but i don't you know i don't know what the answers to your questions are we don't know how long these spikes stay in our bodies we don't know how long the shedding occurs we're not even entirely sure what the shedding even is um mm. you know why is there graphene oxide in these things you know and, and why do magnets and and even non-magnetic things stick to people that have been i mean the, there's weird things in there and some of them are called trade secrets where the vaccine manufacturers don't actually have to disclose everything that's in them yeah. i mean that that's pretty scary especially when people are being forced to have it yeah so so just to maybe quote lee Merritt, <laughs> dr lee Merritt, she said I, I heard her in a podcast and she said well we just have to you know have a lot of prayer and pass the ammo <laughs> <laughs> that's it <Pass> the ammo. <laughs> yeah
Wow. Okay. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you for your comments, your feedback. Uh, Suzanne, what did you or a, a quick question about the rapid testing, if he's heard anything about what's on that uh, Q-tip, anything dangerous or anything that we should be warned about? Yeah, I'm, I, I really do not know anything about that or what the risks or dangers are. Um, I've seen, I've seen horrible things about the ones that get stuck in the back of your nose yeah. that I've had myself and is extremely painful and uncomfortable. Um, so I, the rapid testing seems to be, apparently it's more reliable than the PCR test um, in terms of false positives and false negatives. But, um, but I don't know what the health risks of actually having the test. Okay. I have two, I have two of the Q-tips I've, I've confiscated. And I'm wondering where I can get them analyzed. Good for you. Good for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really. Um, have you not been at Slovenia before? Pardon? Uh, Suzanne, why don't you ask Steve Pellet? I did. I did. And um, the one fellow uh, said he couldn't do anything. But he did tell me the guy who sends out my results in, in 10 days, I could possibly ask him. And I have to tell people, when you're doing the rapid testing, I, I do it with a popsicle stick. So I do the swabbing with a popsicle stick, and then I wipe the Q-tip on the popsicle stick, and I'm able to get an accurate reading without having to put it in my nose. <laughs> Good idea. Good idea. Yeah, nobody's watching you. Because who knows <laughs> what is on the end? That, yeah, I don't know. They've said that there's graphene oxide on the tip of the swabs. They've also said there's ethyl oxide. Ethyl oxide. What else? Yeah. 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 Okay. There was a big report out of Slovenia, and, and they had seen these nanoparticles and the graphene oxide. And uh, this was about a year ago. And they, I mean, uh, because of uh, what they found, they deemed it uh, a bioweapon. The rapid testing. Well, those. Well, they said it was a swab from the PCR test. Oh, so the PCR. Yeah. So I don't know. I've heard about these rapid testings, but I don't like. How is that done? I mean, of course, it's it just a, a Q-tip, and you do five swabs on one nostril and five on the other, and then it goes in this droplet thing, and then they. It's a little test. Okay. You have to do it every day. Oh, okay. So because. It, Oh, I was just going to ask Charles, are there any other comments uh, or advice that you have for us as the public? What do you advise we do? And do you have any other comments or insight or, or things that you'd like to share? Yeah, so in terms of advice, um, I think the most important thing is to really keep your immune system good. I, I think that, you know, that is your greatest protection is what God has given you, which is your own natural immune system, which is an awesome thing. And the important, the, the way to really keep that good is you've got to get good quality sleep. Sleep is really important. You've got to have a dark room, a quiet place, um, and, and, and don't go to sleep at two o'clock in the morning. You know, go to sleep, you know, 
earlier, try and have a regular bedtime, get a really good quality sleep. One of the things that makes sleep better quality is when you're at peace, when you've got good interpersonal relationships. So, so you know, healthy interpersonal relationships are so important, you know, because when we're lonely or angry, we don't sleep well because our mind is not at peace. So we need to really work at being at peace with one another, which means that we need to love and we need to forgive and we need to be tolerant of one another's deficits. And then your, your body will be healthier. You know, people who can't forgive literally poison themselves with bitterness. I've seen so many people who just cannot forgive and they just harbor bitterness against others and then literally make themselves sick. And, and it is very sad. So, and then of course, the other ways of keeping your immune system healthy are with exercise and with excellent food, which means you want food in its freshest form, in its most natural form, in its least contaminated or altered form, and a really good variety of food, not just eating the same thing all the time, but you want living food, which is fruits and vegetables and eggs and and proteins and you know meat and th things that are that were alive you know you don't want dead stuff that's been stored for months or years you know just loses its nutrients um and then of course uh, supplements you know vitamin d is why we have a cold and flu season to a large degree we all run short of vitamin d because the sun gets weak and low in the sky and whenever we go out in the cold months we cover up and so we don't make enough vitamin d so you, you know vitamin d is probably the most important supplement that you can take through the winter and so um, i think that's the main thing is just look after yourself spiritually mentally physically so important to keep yourself resilient and um yeah I, I i think that's the main thing is we need to look after ourselves what what and i find I, what i find intriguing with you charles is that you are you're under a, a tremendous uh, line of fire right now and yet you're very calm and I think all of us are feeling rather frazzled. We have broken relationships in, with family or friends. We are, our careers are on the line. Our, our whole world is upside down. And yet you manage to be very calm amidst all of this, or you at least give a veneer of calmness. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you, Marion. That's very kind of you. Um, no, I am calm. I, I can tell you that I, yeah, I'm going through a divorce after 32 years of marriage, which has absolutely makes me so sad because it was not something that I would have ever initiated myself, but I have to respect my wife's wishes. Um, you know, I've, I've lost my job as an emergency room physician. I'm under investigation from the college. Um, I, I've had a lot of, you know, a lot of difficulties, but but I think what we, from my perspective, I have a wonderful faith in God, that I truly believe that even though it seems like the world is out of control, I don't think it is. I think history is His story. You know that 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 history is unfolding just the way God intends it to, and even though God allows terrible evil to prevail for a while, He will hold everyone accountable. You know, anybody that does evil will be held accountable. 
and, and, and they will not get away with it. They might think they're getting away with it, but they won't. And so I think each of us needs to just make sure that we are doing our bit to serve one another, to love one another, to, to, to just help one another in whatever way we can. And, and um, to, I mean, that's how we show love to one another is by helping one another. And, and I think when we take the focus off ourselves and the things that are hurting us, and we think, now, how can I help that other person? We will be happier when we take the focus off ourselves and we seek ways to serve others without any expectation of anything in return, without counting the cost, to just, just show love to one another. And, and that is... That is, I, I love the parable of the Good Samaritan because it's a story about a man who met a complete stranger who would probably never have helped him. But this man, at huge risk and expense to himself, helped this man who was in desperate need. And I just think it is such a beautiful example of love, of, 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 of going out of our way at, at great personal risk and, 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 and cost to help somebody who would probably never have helped you. And that is what love is. And I think if we can each learn how to love like that, this world would be a much nicer place. Well, I think that's a perfect place for us to end. I think it kind of caps off uh, our time together in a positive way and in a very, uh, how would I say? Yeah, very. I think it's the spiritual dimension, of course, mm -hmm. I think is it's mm -hmm. huge. Because this is, a, I think we all agree, this is a, a spiritual battle. Mm -hmm. This is a, a, an epic spiritual battle that we're in the midst of. So, and sure. getting things right on that front, I think, is, is really, really important. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't want to keep you up too much longer uh, either, uh, Charles, because it's, I think, 1030 in. in in Vancouver or in, in BC. And I think we're already pushing the, the sleep requirement uh, for Ontario uh, people. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but so uh, I'm amazed that the people are still on. <laughs> yeah, but this, um, and I apologize again. I'm so sorry about my misunderstanding. Uh, I, 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 misund I, I, I thought that um, Marianne was going to see if another day might day might work better and i'd agreed i'd definitely be on but i i i didn't actually know it was this evening i thought it i i, I just thought maybe something else was happening and no, so, no, no problem we just talked behind your back for the first 45 minutes <laughs> i'm so glad charles that you that we managed to get you into this meeting then tonight thank you so much for your time and You're thank you uh, to all of you uh, participants who uh who hung in there you know, as we tried to kill time waiting for Charles. Uh, Marianne has also um, recorded the conversation as well and, mm -hmm. and started a little bit late into when you joined us about five or 10 minutes in, but the vast majority of this conversation has been captured. So we can share that with people. Mm -hmm. um, presumably, Charles, you don't mind us sharing it more widely because you're already on the hot Not seat. Not at all, no. Yeah. So well, we can um, send that to the people. So thank you, Charles, and thank you to oh, all you're most who participated in this. And uh, yes, we will share it yes. widely. And if everyone else can do the same thing once you get the link, that would be great. And uh, a good night's sleep to everyone. Absolutely. Thank you. You're, you're a wonderful yeah. man, Charles.
<laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Bless you all. Yeah. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. Thank Take you to care. all. Bye. And